uh, nine days away from election. Uh, we've seen uh, just, uh, just a divided country, a lot of partisanship going on, um, uncivil behavior, uh, political, 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 uh, just uh, so much. And many of us just don't really appreciate it, don't care for it, don't like it. And it seems to be just a, a little bit unnerving. And then we even had the situation where the second presidential uh, debate was canceled, and uh, we ended up with uh, something like this. I've given every audience member a glass of warm milk and a blanket. <laughs> now, who's ready to have some fun with it? Let me start with a story mixed with a complicated math problem. Good evening, America. I am Savannah Guthrie. And if you were angry at NBC for doing this town hall, just let me get a few questions in, and I think you'll uh, thank me. Just do things like that. You're not just someone's crazy uncle. Really? You know? Because this conversation we're having right now is a preview of Thanksgiving dinner at a lot of American households. Well, you know, maybe funny, maybe not so funny. Um, I was showing this to some people in their mid-20s, and they really didn't realize at first that those were actors. They thought those were the actual candidates. So, you, you know, it's, it's just a crazy time, and it really isn't funny. Last week's debate seemed to be a little bit more um, helpful. But then when you throw COVID-19 on top of everything, it just gets so complicated, and it seems like we're just living in such a big mess. But in this series, what we're going to be seeing is what dominates the headlines doesn't have to dominate our hearts. Uh, there's one name, there's one name that isn't on the ballot that actually can pull our lives together, that can actually bring us peace and bring us strength and help us to, to have a calmness as we face these uncertain times. And we're going to be talking about that. Now, some of you may notice that I'm standing behind this podium. I usually don't do that. I'm usually on a stool with a little table. But uh, just in case somebody gets ready to throw something at me, I'm a little nervous with the subject we're competent. I'll try to duck and not get hit by a tomato or something. So, so as, we, as we look at this, it's, it's just really hard. And then how do we navigate through it? Uh, those of you who are Christ followers, you know, there's, there's a certain way to approach this. Uh, some of us are just trying to figure out, uh, does uh, Christ have any relevance for our lives, and how does this all fit together? And I think as we go through these next four weeks, you're going to start to see some pieces fall into place so that at least as a Christ follower, at least uh, in that way, you can bring some meaning and point to him and bring some peace, uh, you know, to our lives. Uh, this week on YouTube, there was this little uh, uh, clip going around that just kind of was a breath of fresh air when it comes to the whole political system. And, and I said, wow, wouldn't it be nice if this was, this was actually the real way? And it actually is real from Utah. I'm Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. We are currently in the final days of campaigning against each other to be your next governor. And while I think you should vote for me. Yeah, but, but really you should vote for me. There are some things we both agree on. We can debate issues without degrading each other's character. We can disagree without hating each other. And win or lose in Utah, we work together. So let's show the country that there's a better way. My name's Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. And we, we approve, approve this message. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could actually get to that kind of place? Now, don't send me emails on all the positions of those two guys. I'm sure there's probably some crazy things going on there. But the idea that they could actually be civil, the idea that they could actually have disagreements, 
and, and not be at each other's throat is so refreshing. And the reality is if we're going to keep moving forward as a people, as a country, uh, there needs to be a little bit more or a lot more of that. Now, over this next three, four weeks, I'm, I'm going to be stepping on toes all over the place. If you're a Republican, I'm going to be stepping on your toes. If you're a Democrat, I'm going to be stepping on your toes. If you're somewhere out there, I'm going to be stepping on your toes. Whatever it is, it, it, this is going to be a time where we actually have to slow down and actually think. We don't want to just be on a bandwagon because that's the, the flag we're behind, and we just don't, we just continue to ride that, but aren't thinking and seeing what's going on. So uh, please, uh, again, uh, buckle up with that and, and, and understand that. Now, as we, as we think about all this, we're going to be looking at some uh, passages, God's inspired word, that are going to help give us some clarity, I hope. And this is going to be, again, a message series where you're going to probably have to go home and think and chew and digest a little bit more. There aren't going to be easy, emotionally satisfying answers all over the place, but there are going to be answers. So as we start and we start to think about life under God, our country under God, uh, the first thing we need to really do is, is first things first. So if you have your message listening guide, you can follow along that way if you'd like to fill in blanks and uh, can help you with that and think about that as we think about uh, first things first. And it's interesting, as we talk about this, there's a quote from Martin Luther I want you to read. You have it right there in your notes, but this idea of how to approach things like this. Uh, Martin Luther wrote about 500 years ago. He says, If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of truth, the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steadily on the battlefields, besides, is merely a fight in disgrace if he flinches at that point. So again, the idea here is that this is the elephant in the room. This is what many of us are talking about. This is what lots of our society is talking about, around the water cooler, wherever you are. So if that's the case, we ought to, uh, in a sense, be talking about it at church. And so when we think about first things first... We have to realize that if you're a Christ follower, you are a Christ follower that happens to be an American. You are a Christ follower that happens to live in the United States. Most of us would say that is an extreme blessing, best place on the planet to live. But you, if you're a Christ follower, you are a Christ follower first, and then you happen to be an American. And we have to really think that through. That doesn't mean we don't celebrate our country. It doesn't mean we're not patriotic. But you and I, if we're Christ followers, are Christ followers first. And we have to think through that. We're not, we're not Democrats. We're not Republicans. We're not another party first. And then a Christian, we are a Christ follower first. Peter writes about this when he says, Live an exemplary life among the people who don't believe so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they will be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. What Peter is telling us, 
that is Christ followers, in any climate, in any atmosphere, we are to live in such a way that our actions actually point to God in a positive way. And those out there that uh, have a negativity to those that are Christians because of some scenario, somebody did something, somebody didn't do something, uh, something in the past, that eventually as they see you and I follow Christ, not perfectly, but follow Christ, all of a sudden their, their chip on their shoulder towards those who call themselves Christians lessens. And eventually they start to get a glimpse of that. And eventually they say, hey, Maybe God is a possibility for me. Maybe God being a part of my life is a possibility of life. Maybe I would like what they seem to have. And then as time goes on, eventually that person might have their heart open to God through Jesus Christ. And then the uh, imagery there is that, that when Christ comes back to set everything right, that person will be a part of the celebration. So as you and I, who are Christ followers, if you're just here because you got promised a great meal after church, that's great. Uh, you can nudge the person that's brought you here that's a Christ follower that isn't living up to maybe the way they should be living. You go, ah, you know, but uh, those of us who know Christ should be living in such a way that following Christ, knowing God, is actually attractive and in some cases actually becomes irresistible. So this idea that we are Christ followers first that happen to be blessed by living in the United States. Also, we need to understand that, and this kind of goes along with that, that you're always representing Christ, not yourself. You're always representing Christ, not yourself. As you and I walk through our days where we work, where we play, where we go to school, uh, where we live, wherever we are, we are always representing Christ if we're a Christ follower. And we're either doing a great job, not so great job, or a terrible job, or somewhere in between. When you have said yes to Christ, when I have said yes to Christ, even the way I drive, even the way I tip at a restaurant, all those things represent Christ. And I need to really not feel guilty about that, but I need to look at that as an opportunity. I have the opportunity that wherever I'm going, I'm an ambassador, I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. And I used to take that seriously. I get up in the morning, and I'm getting dressed or whatever, and I'm putting on my whatever, and I'm getting ready to face the day. I'm, I'm remembering that I'm, I'm going out, not as just Dave Spencer doing his thing. I'm going out as a representative of Christ. And it's actually an opportunity to point others towards him. We read in 2 Corinthians, he charges us to proclaim the message that heals and restores our broken relationships with God and each other. The message of the good news. Sometimes you hear the word gospel. Same thing. The idea that God wants to be a part of our lives. That God sent his son to give his life for us so that we could have a relationship with God that he would restore our soul, restore our heart. So we want to be a living message of that. 
wherever we go. Uh, some of you have likes and dislikes, and it's very quickly that when you're at a certain place, it just kind of like drips out of you, whether it's a team you follow. We all know what team I follow, so we won't get into that. Uh, but if it's a team, if it's a coffee you drink, if it's a certain kind of soda, if it's this or that, uh, a lot of times when you're out and about, people just kind of, it's not like a big announcement, they just kind of figure that out because it's a part of who you are. You're always representing it. And so for us, we want to be, as Christ followers, proclaiming, speaking, lifestyle, the message that God heals and restores our broken relationships with God himself, so that's reflected in the way we live, that we're in this process of a restoration, and also with each other. So when we're starting to think about first things first, when we're thinking about living a life under God, uh, this, this starts, the, starts the process. So we've been sent to speak for Christ. It is as if God is calling to you through us. We speak for Christ when we beg you to be at peace with God. And so our life is such that uh, people would actually want what we have when it comes to our relationship with God. People see that. People want that. And that doesn't happen overnight. There's a process with that. And so that needs to be a part of our first things first. So, so how, do, how do we actually do that? How does that actually get get reflected in our life? Um, what are the how of the first things first? If we turn over and look at uh, Matthew, very familiar passage. We actually spoke on this maybe a year ago or so. And uh, we read in Matthew that uh, Jesus gives us some insight. He says this, uh, let me tell you why you are here. So if you're a Christ follower, you're looking for purpose. You're looking for basic, why am I on the planet? What am I supposed to be doing? Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. That doesn't sound very nice, but uh, in a sense, you and I are to be uh, salt. And if we think about salt, we realize that salt enhances the flavor of food. It doesn't replace the flavor of food, unless you're like me, I really do like salt, but uh, it, it, usually you have salt to enhance the flavor of the food. It's bringing out the flavors that already exist. And likewise, as a Christ follower, you and I are to, in a sense, bring out the flavors of Christ in our lives. And, and we live that way. We see that uh, salt doesn't draw attention to itself. It just amplifies the flavor of whatever it is associated with. All of us have had those situations where we've had something that's been oversalted, and now you don't want to eat it. I was out... A, a couple weeks ago when I had something and it was just almost so salty, even though I like salt, that I almost stopped eating it. And that means it was very, very salty for me to actually consider whether I was going to keep eating it. And sometimes you and I, in our desire to point to Christ, don't realize that we're way, putting way too much salt out there. Our salt needs to enhance the message of Christ, not completely replace it and eclipse it with 
ourselves. We need to understand that. We need to realize that that enhancing is going on. Also, we see that uh, salt prevents decay. And really, in Jesus' day, uh, salt was valuable. In Jesus' day, uh, actually, Roman soldiers got some of their pay in the form of salt. And what salt did was it preserved. It preserved the food. So if you had some meat or whatever and you wanted to preserve it and have it last because there weren't refrigerators and such like that, you would, you would salt and there's a whole art to that. Some of us like uh, beef jerky, right? That's kind of a part of that process. And you can put that on the shelf and it doesn't have to be refrigerated. But they, the idea that salt would preserve. And so as you and I think about salt and we think about who we are, we need to understand that a part of our role is to prevent the decay in society. It's to, it's to have an influence. It's to be a preserving influence in our culture. And, and that's supposed to be a part of our life. Um, the, the world should be better because there are Christ followers in it. And it shouldn't be worse. It should be better. So when it comes to all these situations going on in our world, it's a Christ follower, someone who's following Christ that brings salt, in a sense, to preserve what's going on, right and wrong, uh, doing those kinds of things. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a part of that. It's interesting. Some of you may know a name, uh, uh, Richard Dawkins. Do you know that name? Uh, famous atheist, uh, writes a lot of books. And uh, there was a time where he would be very vocal about Christianity, churches, and all those kinds of things. He said, you know, there will be a great day when they don't exist, when they're extinguished, because all they do is bring heartache. This was his position. And then a little bit later, in a book called Outgrowing God, he writes this. Whether irrational or not, it does unfortunately seem to be plausible. You can see he's really couching his words. That... If somebody sincerely believes God is watching his every move, he might be more likely to be good. I must say that I hate that idea. I want to believe that humans are better than that. I'd like to believe, I'm honest, whether anybody, anyone is watching or not. Richard Dawkins. And so here's a guy that, uh, you know, at first when he starts writing all this stuff, he wants to just basically see the influence of Christianity, faith, church, just kind of go away. And then all of a sudden he's getting to this place where he's realizing as he watches society unfold in front of him that when people are being faithful to their relationship with Christ, it actually is a good thing. It actually preserves society. When you and I are going through our day and we realize we won't get caught by any physical person around doing this or that, but we choose to do the right thing because we understand there's this God and he's observing us, that affects our actions. Now, as a Christ follower, you need to realize you're not trying to earn God's love. You're not trying to be good so God will actually love you. You're actually trying to do these right things because you want to honor God. So there are times where I have no one's around, and all of a sudden I feel like, man, I need to do this or not do that. And what gets me over the hump, what causes me to act or not act, 
is to know that I have a God in heaven that loves me, that gave his son for me so I could have a relationship with him. And in those moments, I want to do what's right because I want to please my heavenly father. It can be something, and I've shared this before, it can be something as simple as a piece of trash in the parking lot. I'm walking in, I see a piece of trash in the parking lot, it looks a little gross. I go, do I pick that piece of trash up? No one's around, I don't really have to pick that, you know, that's somebody else's job. And, and always I go, no, I need, to, I need to stop, pick up that piece of trash, throw it away, sink my hands into hand sanitizer just in case and then move on. It wasn't that somebody was watching. Sometimes, actually, I don't, you probably don't do this. I was actually hoping someone saw me. So they'd go, Dave, that was nice of you picking up that trash. But uh, no one's around. Do it anyway. And that's what we're talking about here. If you're a Christ follower, you understand actions seen or unseen by others, uh, you want to please your Heavenly Father. And when that is multiplied time over time over time over person over person over person, as a Christ follower, we have a uh, preserving effect on our community. And we've mentioned these kinds of ideas before, but all of a sudden, you know, if a church was gone, if, if all the Christ followers at your workplace were gone, would, would the climate even change? Would it would it? Would it would it get better? Would it get worse? Uh, we should be preserving society. Um, I don't think Jesus was attending this when he said this, but when I also think about salt, I think about salt melting ice. I actually noticed my little bag from last year and getting that ready for around the pavement in the house when things get a little slick, but uh, salt melts. And so when I think about that and I think about being a Christ follower, I want to be involved in people's lives. I want to point to Christ, and I want to even be able to be such a way that because of the way I'm loving and kind and pointing to Christ, it actually can be used to melt someone's hard heart. Those of us who have been Christ followers for a little while all know of someone that we would love for them to say yes to Jesus, that we would love to see their their heart warmed to faith. And as a Christ follower, being salt, one of the components of that is not drawing a line through the sand and, and telling them how bad they are and how good we are and all of that kind of thing, but it's actually being involved in their life so all of a sudden their hardness in their heart when it comes to spiritual things starts to melt. And over time, they start to get to that point where they say, maybe... Maybe this God thing could be real. Maybe there's a possibility that this God thing could be real. So we help, in a sense, melt um, their, the ice around their heart, if you will. Uh, Jesus also talks in that same passage about being light. He says, you're here to be light. Bring out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. 
Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be open up to others. You're prompt people to open up with God, his generous, this generous Father in heaven. So as we think about who we are, we're to be this idea of light, and light provides direction. And so when you and I are uh, living a certain way, we're lighting a direction, we're, we're um, showing the light, and so we live that way. Uh, a number of years ago, years ago, I was backpacking, and it was getting dusk, and we were supposed to go to this campground or this little backpacking site off, off the main trail, and it was one of these things that everyone kind of knew about, but it wasn't written anywhere. It was kind of like this secret thing, and uh, so we were getting to that place, and it was getting darker and darker, and and I was like, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to find this place, get off the trail and go around, and started going down this little path, and all of a sudden, we had our headlamps on, and all of a sudden, I saw these little, like, glowing squares on the trees. Some nice person had taken these little reflectors and posted them along the trees. Now, first, being a wise guy, I wondered, is this going to, like, lead me to a cliff or something or, you know, to, like, a hole or something, you know, because, you know, ha, 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 they follow the little reflectors. But actually, we followed the little reflectors, and they got us to the campsite. So in a sense, when you and I are being light, we can help give people direction so they can get to see who God is. Also, there's the idea of dispelling darkness, um, getting rid of the darkness, and not doing that in a, in a, in a mean way. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but how many of you, when you were a kid, your parents had one of those 8-millimeter cameras with the big bright light on it? Anyone remember that? Now we're getting old, you know, and uh, Christmas time. Uh, Dad wanted to, uh, Mom wanted to always, like, videotape us coming down the steps. It wasn't videotaping. It was actually filming. And uh, they would get that thing, plug it in, and, and uh, you know, we're, like, early in the morning, and Dad would plug that thing in and be like... You'd be like, you know, stumbling, couldn't walk, tripping down the stairs and, you know, get him again, get him again, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so we're not talking about that kind of light. We're talking about easing light, easing. I've got a couple of apps on my phone with an alarm and it has a little bit of light and it comes on slowly. The music gets louder over time. You can kind of enjoy that a little bit better. So as you and I, again, as we're following Christ in this crazy world, we want to be dispelling light like that. We need to be able to see. Others need to be able to see. Uh, just the other day, we were having a meeting here, and I needed to get something out of one of the back rooms here at the church, and uh, it was dark in there. And for a split second, I said, you know, I think I know where that is. I'm just going to go in there. Good thing I turned on the light because someone had moved a table and I would have walked right into the table. So again, light is good and you and I as Christ followers need to understand first things are first. We represent Christ. We're a Christ follower first. Belong to maybe a political party way down the line, but it's first a Christ follower and then we take our life and we're salt and light. We are not the masters. Martin Luther King said this when he uh, thought about society and he thought about being light and salt. He said, we're not the masters of the state or the servant of the state, but the conscience of the state. So when you think of being a Christ follower in the environments that we're in, we're to be the conscience of the state. So as we look at this a little bit more, so then what is next? Next. 
The first things are first when we get to this idea of living under God and living in this politically charged climate. What is second? Well, second things that are second. What do we do? How do we, how do we act? Um, what's important when it comes to um, all of this, this politics and understanding? Um, now, again, when I start to talk about some of these things, it's going to hopefully step on all of our toes. I want to be a mutual person, an equal opportunity guy. So whatever your view is on this, I hope you go, ooh, 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 a little bit. I hope not one group feels ooh, ooh, more than another group. So that's my, my goal as, as we talk through all of this. So as we think about this, the first thing we need to realize is the idea of church and politics. So when we think about church and politics and we think about, you know, voting's coming up, you know, less than nine days. Some of us in Seneca County can actually start voting now early. I think it's right through till election day. And uh, there's uh, a couple of key words that we need to realize that when we're talking about this, especially from a church perspective. And the first one is directly and the impl- implication of. And uh, we can thank that to uh, Senator Lyndon Johnson. Back in 1954, he passed some legislation talking about nonprofit organizations, including churches, when it comes to endorsing political candidates and all of that. So you're going to find that churches are not supposed to endorse political candidates. You won't hear me endorse a political candidate. It's interesting. Uh, one of the reasons that Lyndon Johnson wanted this legislation is because when he was running for Senate, some nonprofit, I don't think it was a church, but some nonprofit kind of stood against him and he didn't like that. So, uh, so he used his authority to um, get, get rid of that and change the, change the, um, the legislation. So no church can officially endorse this person or that person or officially oppose that person or not. Uh, a pastor can't send out a personal or sent out a written letter on church letterhead saying Get, support this guy or support that guy. Uh, you'll find that political signs can't be on a church property. Uh, it can't be any of those kinds of things. Now, it does mean the indirect. It does mean that a pre- pastor can... Uh, personally endorse a candidate. Uh, we can be walking in the parking lot, and you can say, ask me a couple questions, and I can say what I think, and uh, you can figure that out. You might even, I might even say, yeah, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to vote for this person and not vote for that person. Uh, on my personal Facebook page, I could do something like that. Not on the church Facebook page, but on my personal uh, Facebook page, I could do that. Um, just can't do it uh, directly, uh, but can do it, in a sense, indirectly. Uh, as a pastor, I can personally contribute, but a church cannot contribute to a certain campaign. Um, we can't use those funds that way. Again, I could, I could write, I could be quoted as pastor of so-and-so and likes this candidate on a, on a, on a pamphlet or something, but again, it couldn't be a pamphlet from, from the church uh, with church letterhead. So uh, at the same time, uh, as a church, we're free to talk about issues, uh, talk about things that we believe, and as we line up those issues, then you can go and find out which candidates hold to those and which don't. As Christ followers, there are certain things that should be important to us. Uh, so when it comes to the moral and social issues, uh, you know, all those kinds of things, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to gay marriage, social justice, 
Black Lives Matter, sexism, Me Too, the economy, health care, immigration, and gender identity, and every other issue. We, we can talk about those issues. We can say what a Christ follower ought to do and think about those kinds of things. But again, and then you can go back and look at uh, candidates uh, that, can, that can find that. Uh, if you go to our Facebook page uh, sometime today, you're going to find a link to the New Yorker's Family Research Foundation Voter's Guide. And you're going to find that, and you can go through that, and they will list a lot of the uh, candidates that are running for offices nationally, state, locally, and all that, and you can go through and see what positions they hold to, and that can help you make decisions. But we personally uh, wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, endorse anyone. So a part of that obviously then means is uh, Christ first, party second. And this can be hard. Some of us can get so passionate about our political leanings, and, and, that, and that's good. It's good to be passionate. It's good to be involved. Uh, God is not asking us to be sitting on the sidelines. But we have to, again, realize and understand that it's Christ first, party second. Um, you know, uh, there are certain things to keep in mind when we're talking about this. Um, you know, if you're a Christ follower, again, you're not primarily a Republican or a Democrat, not first and foremost. Uh, it should be a distant second to, to that. Your identity, our identity comes from our relationship with God through Christ. And so with this also uh, gets, gets, a little, gets a little complicated because we find ourselves uh, not being able to, in a sense, fit into one place totally. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, your, your um, very mindset or you're, you're finding that, man, I, I don't find, find really a home in any political party. I, I feel this way on this issue, on this way, I feel this way. Uh, maybe you're theologically conservative, but socially compassionate. Maybe you feel too conservative for the progressive, but too progressive for the conservatives. Uh, maybe you find yourselves aligning with issues from both parties. Maybe you care about the sanctity of life, but you're also concerned about global warming. Uh, maybe you feel torn between these things, and that's okay because your allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus, not a platform. You realize that your citizenship is first and foremost in heaven, not in the United States. So you can go back and forth. Uh, for example, one party might, one person might care, a party might care more about creation care and all things environmental, and while another uh, might get uh, the sanctity of life issue right. Uh, and it goes back and forth, all these kinds of things. So, so really what I want you to do, what I want us to do, is to be thinking Christ followers. For you to be able to actually look at stances of a party, of a candidate, and say, these ones I agree with, these ones I don't, and go back and forth. But you don't get just locked in totally. You don't check your mind at the door. Um, James Emery White uh, writes, As Christians, we might align with a party, but as Christ followers, we never stand under that party. We always stand over it, taking stands for Jesus whenever, wherever those stands may lead us. So, when we think about all of this, we think about voting as a Christ follower. Uh, what does that mean, and, and how, do we, how do we do that? This can get really hard for us. 
Uh, I'm not going to, again, tell you who to vote for. Uh, sometimes we say, well, I guess I just have to uh, pick between the lesser of two evils. And sometimes we say, well, the evils are too bad. I'm just not going to vote at all. But the reality is there is no such thing as a perfect candidate. There's no such thing. Unless Jesus is running, there's no perfect candidate. We have to understand that. We're always, in a sense, picking between two lessers of two evils. We're always doing that. No matter how much you like your candidate, there is no perfect candidate. Yet at the same time, as Americans being given the gift of freedom, if we were to go around the world, we would find that there are, there are Christ falls or people in other countries, other places that would just can't believe the freedom that you and I have. So we need to figure out how to exercise our freedom, how to, uh, in a sense, be who we are as Christ followers, but actually engaging. It's great when a Christ follower decides to get into political things. It's great when one decides to run for office. That, that, that's fantastic, but understanding that we're Christians first. So as we think about all of this, we need to realize that we need to apply being salt and light to our vote. We need to apply salt and light. So if we're trying to preserve, if we're trying to be light, then we need to apply that to our vote. And, and that, again, that is, that is very difficult to do in the circumstances we're at. It's not easy. That's why I can have two strong, strong Christ follower friends. I mean strong Christ follower friends and have them actually see uh, things from completely different directions. Uh, and, 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 I, and I've got to be okay with that. And by first, I want to make everyone happy, but it's okay to have different thoughts on different things. Um, I'm also going to be posting an article by John Piper today, and I'm a little scared. I'm going to hide behind here. A little scared about that one because he walks through this whole process. He doesn't say who to vote for, but he very clearly says it's not as easy as some of us would like to make it be. There's hard things. He talks about, uh, now get me really in trouble, he talks about, you, you know, uh, the murder of abortion, but also the murder of arrogance, and starts to say, you know, uh, abortion kills, but arrogance can kill too, and he goes through, I'll let you read that if you want, and uh, just talks about that. It's, it's not as crystal clear always as we would like it to be. It, it can be a lot harder than that. Also, what was very interesting is uh, a number of years ago, uh, actually the last election, 2016, um, Lifeway uh, did a series, uh, did a survey, and found out that one in ten Christians said the Bible shaped their political views, and that that should be scary to us. You say, "Well, what, what does the Bible even have to say?" It has a lot to say, and so we got to get to the point where we actually let. The scriptures, God-inspired word, actually shape our political views. And that's not something you can just uh, kind of like read a paragraph and go, I'm all set. Now, that's why the last series, when we talked about reset, and we talked about being in a growing relationship with God, we need to be growing in that relationship with God. So when these things come up, we actually have some depth to mine from. 
We have actually made some deposits in our spiritual accounts, so there's actually something to pull out. To think we're going to figure this all out in a, in a 10-minute Google search and, and be done with it uh, probably isn't the engagement that God would have us uh, be on these subjects. But again, 1 in 10 said that, you know, it, it, that's how many 1 in 10 looked at a biblical position, had a Christian worldview when it came to looking at what they were going to vote on. Um, unbelievable. Um, you see, we have to understand, another great quote from James Emery White, that truth is given to us, it's not determined by us. Truth is given to us, it's not determined by us. So again, that pulls us back to knowing God, knowing God well, uh, knowing God how uh, he would interact with all of this. You know, I, I'll get myself into trouble when it comes to this whole immigration situation. It's very complicated, very complicated. And if you go back even in the Older Testament, you'll see how when Israel was a nation, how they were to respond to the immigrant with compassion. And you, don't, you read through it. If you read through it really quick, you might not, not pick that up. But there was a compassion there. So how does that show up? How does that get reflected in the way we do things? So you've got all this stuff going on. So as we think about this, and it's not going to be rocket science. Some of you probably maybe even already have filled in your bottom line. But the bottom line is this. Follow politics, but follow Christ first. Follow politics, but follow Christ. Christ first. You and I ought to be involved in it. Uh, we ought to be aware of it. We ought to want to know what's going on in the news. We ought to uh, look at multiple sources, multiple directions. Even the sometimes I, I read books that I know I'm not going to agree with, but I want to understand someone else's perspective. And so we kind of got to have a better picture of this. So, yes, we follow politics. We don't, we don't waste our vote. We don't waste the freedom that we have. But we follow Christ first. Next week, we're going to pick up and continue to unpack this. And hopefully, we'll get a little more understanding. Again, I would encourage you, if you go to our Facebook page, uh, there'll be two posts that will give you more to chew on and more to think about as you wrestle with this idea of falling politics, being involved, but also following, Christ, or mostly following Christ first. Would you please pray with me? Dear Grace Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your compassion to us. We thank you for your gentleness, and in a sense, I look at a series like this as really us, in a sense, uh, climbing up on your lap and saying, Lord, teach us about politics. Teach us what it means to live under you, to navigate the waters of what we find ourselves in in our country. Uh, teach us how to be salt and light without compromise, uh, how we do that. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would really help us, but ask that you would inspire us to give it the time that it needs in our own hearts to have some of these things settled. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that are all around us. As we do think about the election in nine days and how that's all going to unfold, we just continue to look to you. Uh, we place it in your hands. It already is in your hands. And Lord, we just ask that whatever the outcome is, it would be one that helps us to be able to follow you in effective ways, pointing to you, to our neighbors, the people we work with, we go to school with. 
So we ask that we'd be able to leverage the results of whatever all these elections are for, for you, for your importance, for your glory. We just uh, thank you and just ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Just a reminder uh, at this time, it's just a reminder about our tithes and our offerings and our generosity. Uh, we continue to thank you for your generosity and the way you uh, continue to give sacrificially to our church. Uh, there's boxes in the back here and there's black boxes on the wall out in the commons area, so please take uh, use of those. If you have any comments, any things you need to let us know about, use the Connect card. You can do that online or you can pick up a Connect card where you actually picked up your program, so please use that. Um, also, uh, starting today, our uh, proposed budget for 2021 is available. If you stop by guest services, uh, someone will be there and can give you a copy of that. So if you attend the church fairly regularly, if you're a member of the church, of course, please pick up on, pick one of those up. We'll be doing the affirmation for, vote on that uh, towards the end of November, just before Thanksgiving. So uh, if you're reading through that.